the field of HR, like the natural inertia of an HR leadership job pulls your head into the work, right? There's so much for you to do. It's so dynamic. You're never ahead. You're always behind. You're always catching up just by nature. It's really hard for you, for anybody in that position to make time for education and growth and development. And that's a double-edged sword because without that, there's no way that you're going to be able to expand and broaden your capabilities. And, you know, again, you know, consistent with the theme of the podcast, your impact. And so I think for, especially for HR executives, you have got to carve out a percentage of your time for your own development, your own education, your own growth, your own networking. Those are all things that are, are essential to the long-term viability of your career. I think it's really easy to not do that but you've got to work against that. If there's one piece of advice that I would give to HR executives who are listening, create that space in your calendar, block it, book it in your calendar. Do not let people you know, book over that. You need to have some time every week that's dedicated to you, your own education, your own learning, your own networking, which is one of the more valuable and important things you can do to have a career in this field long term. Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Hey there, Impact Makers. Thank you for joining me for episode 55 of the Impact Makers Podcast. Since it's a new year... I'm already hard at work on achieving the goals that I've set for myself and my business in 2021. And one of those goals this year is to read 24 books. Thankfully, I've got some good friends who are helping me to fill my reading list with books that they've written, which were set for January 2021 release dates. I spoke with my best friend, Laurie Rudiman, about her new book, Betting on You, which released a couple of weeks ago in episode 53 of the podcast. And today, I'm chatting with my friend Lars Schmidt about his new book, which is called Redefining HR, and it releases worldwide on January 26, 2021. I really enjoyed my conversation with Lars, and he has a great grasp on how leaders in all areas, not just human resources, should approach building strong and capable organizations through implementing modern people practices. So let me introduce you to Lars Schmidt and his new book, so you can listen in on our conversation and learn from him too. Lars Schmidt is the founder and principal of Amplify, a firm that helps progressive people leaders and companies navigate the future of work. Long interested in emerging work trends, tech, and people practices, his curiosity fueled a career that has afforded him the privilege of solving complex talent challenges for some of the biggest brands in their respective fields, including NPR, Ticketmaster, SpaceX, Duo Security, and Hootsuite. He's always been drawn to HR leaders who operate at the leading edges of the field, those who embrace 21st century HR, and those who are redefining people practices through their vision, experience, and approach. Lars has long worked to accelerate the evolution of human resources capabilities and impact through efforts like co-founding the HR Open Source Initiative by contributing regular columns for Fast Company and Forbes, and also by writing books including Employer Branding for Dummies in 2017, and his latest book, Redefining HR, which will release worldwide on January 26, 2021. Redefining HR provides a framework for leaders to build modern and world-class people teams, enabling them to create people-centric organizations that lead to long-term success. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Lars Schmidt today on the Impact Makers Podcast. 
Well, welcome to the Impact Makers podcast, my friend Lars Schmidt. How are you today? Yeah, I'm doing really well. It's good to be here. Good. Well, I'm always excited to talk to you. And, and we were just chatting before we started recording that we haven't had a chance to do much of that in 2020 in person. Um, <laughs> Usually we would be sitting in the front row at Talent Connect, uh, you know, um, catching up and tweeting each other. Our uh, annual gonna... selfie. That is, <laughs> That's right. That is one of the many things that 2020 will not get from us. But I'm excited to talk to you today for a number of reasons. Number one, to catch up. And number two, to share kind of who you are with maybe people who are listening to this podcast that aren't familiar with you. And number three, you've got something special coming up that we'll talk about. But the usual question I start with is, who is Lars Schmidt? Tell us about Who you. is Lars Schmidt? Yeah. So I, uh, let's see, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I live in Northern Virginia outside of DC. I grew up in Florida. I spent some time in New York and LA before settling here. I started my career a little over 20 years ago in recruiting. Like a lot of people just kind of fell into that by chance. I found I loved it. Uh, you know, but the first 13 years of my career were all in kind of corporate roles, running global recruiting and talent teams for uh, Ticketmaster and an open source e-commerce company called Magento and then uh, National Public Radio in DC kind of helping them in their evolution from radio and broadcast to digital. Seven years ago in from December, I uh, left NPR to start my own firm, Amplify. And so what I do now, like my core business is a mix of strategic consulting that tends to be in the areas of uh, HR transformation, talent management, uh, recruiting optimization, employer brand, those sorts of things. Uh, then I also have an HR executive search practice as well. So those are kind of the two facets of the business. Uh, Amplify is just me. It's a so it's a company of one. So uh, that kind of frames the scope. And then, uh, you know, kind of wrapped around that, I have this interesting and kind of weird uh, editorial role where I, I have a column for Fast Company publishing my second book uh, next week. So hugely excited about that. We'll talk a bit more about that. But uh, I host a podcast called Redefining HR, which is also the title of the book. And, you know, really, that's a lot of stuff. Uh, I think if you kind of distill that down, like what motivates me? Like, why do I get involved in all of those things? I have like a real passion and commitment for accelerating progress in the field of HR. You know, uh, I, I think that the field of HR is a pretty broad spectrum right now. And there's so much fascinating and progressive and innovative work happening at the leading edge of that spectrum. I want to get involved in projects that shine a bright light on that uh, illuminate what that is, what that looks like, how it works, who's doing it, uh, really with the intent of making it easier for people that are more in the middle part of that spectrum to ramp up how they think, how they work, how they operate, uh, and ultimately the impact they bring to both their organizations and their teams. And so kind of all the projects that I get involved in typically have that common thread. It's, you know, I usually ask, what is this going to be doing to advance the field? And that is typically how I kind of decide what I do and don't get involved in. That's great. Well, uh, there was so much in there for me to grab onto. Um, <laughs> you know, I I think I originally connected with you or came across you might have been bef right before you started at NPR, but definitely your time at NPR is where I really became familiar with your work. And the people that listen to this podcast are a lot of human resources leaders, executives, um, but also I think a lot of people who are interested in personal branding or even building their own business or their own brand to uh, have a side hustle or a business. And and when I look at you, I'm kind of both fascinated and intrigued by a couple of things. You know, I I connected with you when I when I thought of Lars Schmidt, I thought recruiting. You know, recruiting leadership. That's a lot of yeah. what you did at NPR. Then 
during your time at NPR and when you transitioned into working for yourself, I always thought of Lars as employer branding. So for a lot of long time, you were doing employer branding work. And then over the last couple of years, you really come out of the gates with what you, you just mentioned, you know, more of how do you advance the field of HR, kind of that high level perspective, modern people practices, you know, those are the things that you talk about. So while you've kind of stayed in the people side of the business, you've really kind of evolved your personal brand uh, quite a bit over the last few years. Was that intentional or did you have it? Was it just a natural progression? Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably, I would frame it as like following my interests, right? Like recruiting had been my discipline that had been the space where I'd worked the majority of my career. And so when I got to NPR, you know, my background had been almost entirely recruiting. And so that was really where I started, you know, writing and blogging and, you know, leveraging social media and, and really embracing open source for the first time. So I had a boss in uh, Jeff Perkins, who's our CHRO at NPR, who was awesome. He was like, I'm very cool with you um, sharing what you're doing, what you're learning, what you're experimenting with. And when I got to NPR, that was in the very early days of kind of the digital iteration of employer brands. So probably around 2011. And, uh, you know, it was a nonprofit. I had no money. I had no team. I had no resources. We were competing for digital tech talent against everybody. And so we were at a massive disadvantage in terms of our resources and budget. But what we had was a great consumer brand, very, you know, digitally savvy and social savvy employees and a willingness to take risks. And so really at NPR is where I started evolving more towards employer brand and writing about what we're doing. And I think we created what I believe now is uh, the first, if not one of the first culture hashtags with NPR life, which has become kind of a default practice. And as, you know, as I started doing more work in the employer brand space, as that field matured, and obviously I launched Amplify, mostly focused on employer brand consulting. I did that for the first couple of years. Uh, And then the field of employer brand got more mature. And, uh, and I wrote, you know, I, after I wrote, uh, co-authored employee Brandon for dummies with, uh, Richard Mosley Universum, I started, you know, it probably started when I launched HR open source and I started, you know, Ambrosia and I, Ambrosia Vertesi was my co-founder for, uh, HROS. We started traveling the world, going to conferences and events and talking to practitioners and really understanding what were some of their barriers to modern progressive HR practices. And, I think once I started going down that road, uh, you know, I realized that the field of employer brand was in good hands. There were a lot of really, um, at that point, it was a mature industry. There was lots of people doing really great work who were writing about it and sharing about it. And and I always kind of look at you know, when I determine what I'm doing, it's like, where can I add value? And I felt that I had gotten to a point in employer brand where I didn't know that I was, you know, in the best position to add value because there's lots of people adding value. Um, and I saw the field of HR and particularly kind of the this, you know, emerging modern sect of HR as being really, you know, if I look at impact, I was like, you know, if I can find ways and HROS probably got me starting to think about think like this is that if I could find ways to harness and spotlight and share some of those leading practices in the field of HR and people operations, the ability for that to have an impact on the industry in general at large, you know, companies, employees, everything. Uh, I just saw there being a real, you know, underserved need and an opportunity there. And so, yeah, you're right. I've kind of reinvented myself, if you will, a couple of times. Uh, I wouldn't say that it was uh, deliberate in the sense of like, okay, what kind of brand can I craft now? But it was more of like, now I'm interested in this. 
And now I see, you know, there, there's something to build here. So I'm going to go do that and see where that leads me. Mm-hmm. So with open source, which you've mentioned a couple of times, and maybe not everyone is familiar with that. You know, when I think of three or four years ago, or even I don't remember when HR open source kind of came about, but a few years ago, I wasn't super familiar with the concept of open source. You know, most things like a membership organization, uh, et cetera, they have communities behind a paywall typically. Um, But you and Ambrosia created something where people could post their case studies online, post information online from anywhere and everywhere, and it was free. Yeah. Or at least at the time. Uh, and then you've done that with COVID resources and how people are approaching, you know, what they're doing and the quote future of work, which is always going to be tomorrow. <laughs> um, <laughs> but how did you come across the idea of open source? And what do you think that that's done for leadership, uh, HR leadership in particular? Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I've mostly worked in tech in my career. And so most of the dev teams where I've worked have had, you know, open source uh, practices or, you know, elements of their source code was built on open source, uh, you know, code. And so the idea of open source, so for listeners that aren't familiar with it, like generally open source was uh, created as a, as a, as a way of engineering and writing code specifically where somebody would write a piece of code to do X they would then upload it to a shared repository and anybody else who needed code that would allow something to do X could then just take it, cut it and paste it and do that thing. So once the line of code was written, you wouldn't have to write it again. And the idea behind the open source community is that code is nuanced. So you could take it, um, somebody could take that piece of line, uh, that line of code you wrote to do X, they can modify it, they can make it faster, they can make it more efficient, they can make it better, then they can upload their version back to that repository. And so you have this collective, collaborative environment of all these engineers, you know, optimizing code and anybody can just take that and it's, it's free. And so that was really the spirit behind HR open source. It was 2015. Ambrose and I were at uh, Craig Fisher's talent net conference in Austin, uh, drinking beer and eating nachos. And we're kind of like, you know, we were talking about how we were plugged into this community like you are of, um, writers and speakers and leading thinkers in the space. And that I likened it to the matrix. You know, once I plugged into that community, it accelerated my own growth tremendously. And then we said, you know, but the vast majority of practitioners don't have access to this. You know, they don't have budget to go to conferences. They, they, they are still wired to think that you have to pay a membership fee for a, you know, an organization in order to tap into bodies of knowledge. We don't believe that's the way. We think that actually, if you could, you could create a platform. So initially, it was kind of a test case. We said if we could create a platform that was, you know, mirrored open source and software, where instead of lines of code, we used case studies and templates where practitioners wrote about how they solved X uh, and then gave that away, and other people could, you know, basically say, "Hey, I'm trying to do X. Cool. This is how, you know, Dell did it. This is how, you know, Oracle did X. This is how, um, you know, Earl's Restaurant." did why, maybe I can do something like that. And so that was really the spirit behind it. We didn't feel that your budget and your resources should be a determining factor on your impact. And so we, we thought by creating this open community and platform, uh, it could really accelerate, like, a, you know, going back to my earlier point, accelerate innovation at a scale. Uh, and so, you know, over the five years plus, so like I'm no longer directly involved. Ambrosia and I stepped back. We've turned it over to an operating board now. It's become a, a formal nonprofit um, but now there's over 10,000 members in over 100 countries that are part of that community. And so 
I think to your second question about how open source has impacted, to me, one of the most significant changes in the field of HR over the last five years is our evolution from black box to open source. And what I mean by that is HR historically was not known as an organization that was overly uh, collaborative and communicative around their practices, right? Like they were, mm-hmm. they were walled off, there were silos, nobody really talked about how they did X, certainly not in a broad forum, maybe it was just with a couple of friends. And now, and I think, you know, we've seen huge examples of that in 2020 with the response to pandemic where, you know, HR practitioners were faced with something that nobody's ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Nobody's ever experienced before. Nobody has a playbook for how you deal with X. Like, sure, there were some watered down versions or, or versions in the past around like disaster preparedness, but nothing around like global pandemic at this scale. And so, so many practitioners who maybe traditionally weren't accustomed to sharing and collaborating were now doing so because they were like, look, my executive team and my employees are looking to me to chart a path forward. And I have no idea how to do that. So mm-hmm. what are you doing over here? What are you doing over there? How are you communicating that? How often are you meeting with your executive team? How often are you communicating to employees? How are you keeping track of what's happening in the kind of macro trends around, uh, you know, lockdowns and, and, and all the things that are happening externally that are impacting our business and the level of communication and collaboration around how to adapt to, you know, COVID. And then, you know, after George Floyd's murder, uh, you know, and the, and the, you know, resurgent conversation around racial equity and social injustice, that was another, you know, kind of macro scenario on the field of HR where a lot of practitioners were coming together and talking about, you know, what kind of, how are they holding, you know, town halls and forums, or even kind of auditing some of their practices to try to identify systemic inequity, you know, that's, that's embedded in them. And so uh, to me, I think that there's no going back. I think that uh, open source has proven itself to be the method of the future. And when I say open source, I, you know, don't take that literally meaning every company is going to open up every aspect of how they do that. That's never going to happen. But more companies are going to embrace the idea of sharing what they're doing, you know, seeing more CHROs writing and blogging and joining podcasts like this to talk about how they're doing certain things. Uh, and doing it with humility. It's not just look at this awesome thing we did. Like, you know, conferences, you know, I've been to, you know, hundreds of them. Often it's somebody up on a stage uh, bragging about and let them brag because they probably did cool things, but bragging about something that they did and they a- achieved at work without really giving you much insight into the how that came together uh, or the mistakes they made along the way. And the the, the humility in that, because those mistakes are really valuable as well. Like I want to know if I'm doing X and if I do X, you know, these are the landmines that are easy to step on. If you're not engineering to protect yourself against them, that's really valuable information that typically we didn't get. Now we're getting. So yeah, yeah I could, I could, I could go on a, an hour bottle hug on open source, <laughs> but to me, that's the single most important and transformative shift from legacy, or I say enabler of the shift from legacy HR to modern HR. I think that's great. And uh, before we kind of move on to to the next topic of interest that I have in you. I do like to point out again, that something that I've shared with people for a long time when they, they come to me and they're like, well, how do I build my brand? How do I get my name out there? You know what? Nobody's reading my blog or nobody's following me on Twitter. And one of the things that I've always suggested is curate resources, you know, share other people's great work. And that ultimately will reflect on you and help build your brand. And I think what you've done both with HROS and again, the COVID uh, open source 
documents and resources that you shared with something that got shared by me and everybody else widely. But all that comes back to you and helps to build your community, um, positions you as a thought leader. And I think not enough people really take that into account, even, you know, executives or people who are employed in the corporate world. How can you really both either help your brand or the brand of your company? And it's a lot of it is sharing freely what you do. I mean, yeah. Any entrepreneur or, or person, especially in the online digital space, will say, you know, give away everything you know for free. And, and that makes people nervous. But the reality is it establishes your expertise. Most people don't want to do it themselves, you know, to take the time to do it themselves. So they'll maybe come to your yard because you gave away something for free. And then when they want it done, they might invest in you or the resources that you have to get it done. So I think it's a great example of brand building, community building by not only sharing your own work, but by highlighting the work of others. So through that, you kind of pivoted, as you said, your business from more employer brand consulting, et cetera. You still do the executive search work, but you really over the last few years have kind of um, gotten some real uh, traction with that senior leader. You know, when I listen to your podcast, maybe we'll back up and talk about how the podcast got started. I'm always like, how does Lars know all these people, these, <laughs> these senior leaders at these top companies or these you know, tech darlings or startups? Um, so maybe back up, I guess you started writing for Fast Company first. Was that, and then how did you, you know, most people want to write for Fast Company, but not everybody can. So how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, uh, so after I wrote, uh, I'll, I'll kind of start at the beginning, you know, after I, we published uh, Employer Branding for Dummies, I'm not a natural writer. I'm not prolific at writing. You know, I knew that I'd had to find a way to keep writing or that ability after writing the book or that ability would atrophy and I'd go back to being a, a crappy writer. And so I was, uh, so I started writing and I had a contact at Forbes uh, and um, got an audition and got in uh, with them. And so I started writing for Forbes, but Fast Company was always my bucket list destination. And so probably a year later, I got an introduction to an editor there. Um, and he was like, you know, okay, I'll let you, you can send me an original piece. If I like it, we'll run it. If I don't, I won't. So I sent an original piece, didn't like it, got rejected. And uh, I was like, you know, is it okay if I, can I try can I keep trying? Can I send you another one? He's like, yeah, keep trying. But if I don't like it, I'm going to just reject it outright. I was like, okay, cool. I sent him another one, rejected it. Sent him another one, rejected it. Sent him were another you, one. Were you, wait, were you getting feedback as to what he didn't like or nope. just no? No, because okay. I mean, they, they, get, they get so many people want to write it. Like they just can't. I mean, I get it. Like they, they don't have the, the bandwidth to be able to provide detailed, you know, notes and edits for people who are trying to get in. And so uh, I was like, look, honestly, uh, if I'm annoying, you let me know. But if uh, I'm going to keep sending you uh, pieces until you say yes uh, or tell me to stop sending them, you know, because I was just that was I was determined like that was the place I wanted to go. And on my fourth piece, uh, I got accepted. And then basically the way they're set up is you, you know, you're kind of on a trial basis when you submit your first piece. And then once you submit, I think, 10 stories, um, then you get you know a byline and you become a regular contributor. So. So I got to that point, but it was definitely a, a situation of perseverance where I was like, I'm going to keep failing until I get in or you tell me to stop failing so hard. So, <laughs> so I got in with them. And then uh, in 2019, basically, I pitched an idea of a year long series called 21st Century HR. And what I wanted to do in that is say, you know, again, leveraging some of my relationships through HR open source and just through my network and say, like, I, there's so much great work in the field of HR that's being done that a lot of people don't know about. And, and I've been writing for 
you know, trade publications for a while. So, you know, I've written a lot of stuff for Sherm. I've written for ERE. I've written for LinkedIn talent blog. And the ideas that I was trying to share didn't need to be shared to other HR practitioners. They got it. Like they needed to be shared to CEOs. They need to be shared to business leaders. And so for me, my intent with Fast Company was to really cross over to that audience and share the stories that we're talking about within the industry to the people who are actually in a position to do something about it and to actually, you know, support those programs, those initiatives, those, you know, novel ways of thinking, non-traditional ideas. And so that was really my whole aim with Fast Company. And so the the idea behind the 21st Century HR series is I want to basically take my column and for the entire year, spotlight innovative practices that were happening, leaders, approaches, different ways of thinking, kind of new HR, if you will. And so that got greenlit. And then, uh, you know, most fast company stories are about a thousand words. Uh, You know, there's only so much you can say in that limited space. And so I had the idea of, you know, creating a podcast to accompany the fast company series where basically uh, for every piece I wrote, I would record an episode on that topic and maybe interview people who I pulled quotes from, from the story. Uh, and they basically could embed that episode at the bottom of every article. And that way, if a reader wanted to go deeper, they could listen to the podcast. So, so that happened, that launched. And then, you know, my writing cadence was usually every other month for Fast Company. I wanted to, you know, I, I like podcasting. I wanted to do more of it. So that then became a weekly show. And then, yeah, I think I was, you know, I've been fortunate over my career to build uh, a network of, you know, uh, leading, you know, thinkers and practitioners in, in the industry generally, but also specifically in tech. And then really over the last couple of years at the CHRO CPO level. And so, you know, I started with some friends, uh, who are in those seats of like, Hey, I've got this podcast, come on. And I think it just found an audience with that, that demographic, if you will, kind of those people. And so, it became as I had, you know, I leveraged some of my friends first. And so I had a few high profile guests and then the, the show started taking root in that, you know, at the, you know, HR executive, particularly for people who are, you know, self-identify as that kind of modern, you know, new school HR. Uh, and then that made it a bit, then I started getting referrals. Then I started getting requests. Uh, then I started getting PR firms hitting me up, you know, now all the time, which is kind of annoying actually, as I'm sure you can relate to. Uh, you know, pitching people. And so, yeah, it just kind of grew organically um, from there. And then the great thing about the book is I was able to leverage a lot of the interviews and discussions and stories from the podcast into the book. So the podcast, you know, looking back, it was like HR open source and a lot of my work led to um, the, uh, led to the employer branding book, which led to the Forbes writing, which led to the fast company writing, which led to the podcast, which now led to the redefining book, uh, redefining HR book. So looking back, you know, it's, it's easier to see how they each kind of stacked on top of each other. And, um, uh, yeah, but it's been a ton of fun. I just feel fortunate that I, that I have the kind of network and the kind of people who want to tell stories, because I think that there's a real interest in kind of knowing like, what, what does the CHRO do? Like, how do you get to that seat? Uh, what, how do you deal with like these complex, really difficult situations and, and, uh, you know, questions and kind of macro societal things that are happening right now when you're in that role. Mm -hmm. Well, I know the book at the time of this publication of this podcast is already out in the UK. So the UK had the first, first dibs at it. It's going to be released, I guess, worldwide beyond that on January 25th. Yeah. 
how did the book, you know, it came about through the podcast and the series, but did they approach you, a publisher approach you and say, hey, Lars, you got good stuff. We want to create a book. Or did you kind of have an idea for the book and, and go out and shop it? The latter. Yeah. I'm, uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm not at that level where publishers are just hitting me up and be like, hey, why don't you write a book for <laughs> us? Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I I knew that I wanted to write the book. I, I, so I, I knew, I knew there was, there was, there was a story I wanted to kind of condense and kind of collate all the things that I've been doing over the last five years, uh, into a really a playbook around modern HR. And so I had the concept for the book. Um, I pitched it to a couple of different publishers. Uh, a couple said, uh, two said yes. One said, maybe, uh, I went with one of the yeses, uh, who, you know, they're a Kogan page out of London. So, uh, you know, a variety of listeners are probably familiar with some other authors in our space who've written, uh, books out of Kogan page. And so, uh, yeah, I got connected, um, you know, with them and, uh, and began writing. Well, that's awesome. Now it started out, I assume as 21st century HR was what, what you were headed in terms of the title and it's been, uh, redefined to redefining HR. What was the thought process behind that? Yeah. Well, it's funny. Uh, they were never down with 21st century HR. You know, they were kind of like, they didn't really get the concept. They're like, well, we are in the 21st century. Like that doesn't really, we have to think about this from a global audience standpoint. And so the interesting thing is like that book didn't actually have a title. That was the last thing that the book had partly because, you know, I was going through lots of uh, negotiations with them around the book title and they had uh, you know, this was during the pandemic for a period of time they were furloughed. And so, you know, my editor was, was, furloughed and not accessible. And then she came back and we kind of, which in hindsight, I think that helped a little bit because the book, the book turned out the mostly the way that I envisioned it would, when I had the idea of writing the book, there's probably some nuance difference, but being locking down the title last, you know, allowed me to really think on like, what is this book? What message is this? What, what, what promise am I making to a reader around what they're going to get from, you know, from buying this book, from reading this book, um, and redefining HR just fit. Um, and I kind of frame early in the book, like what that really means. Cause I think that, you know, that title might not obviously be, uh, instantly, you know, attainable. And some people might, might interpret that as just cosmetic, like, okay, we were HR and now some of us are people operations or mm-hmm. talent and culture you know, or human capital or whatever you call yourself. And, and I make a point that it's not, that's not what this is all about. It's about the kind of HR you practice. It's about the impact you have. It's about the way you think about the work that you do. All of that is what, you know, kind of gets to redefining HR. Mm-hmm. Are there some core principles in the book that um, maybe you kind of cover that you can give us as sound bites to really whet people's appetite to make sure they get it? Yeah. I mean, so there's... Um, for the most part, each chapter in the book gets into uh, a fundamental component of modern HR. And it'll talk about, you know, what, the way that we used to think about X. So, and X could be um, people analytics. It could be diversity, inclusion, and belonging. It could be recruiting, uh, employee experience, total rewards, right? Like the kind of foundational elements, if you will, of of HR broadly. Um, And then every chapter kind of is a deep dive into that topic where I kind of talk about, you know, we used to think about this field in this way. Now modern operators are thinking about it in this way. And then my, you know, the best part of the book is that it's not just me sharing my opinion on all of those things. It's me being able to kind of connect that to actual practitioners in those jobs doing that work. And so I've got over 50 contributors in the book, whether it's, you know, case studies, personal essays, quotes, et cetera, uh, sharing their own perspective on how they're actually 
um, you know, delivering that for the business. And so, um, yeah, so those are really kind of the core, uh, core fundamental areas. Mm -hmm. So you had mentioned your, your fast company series with that. You were really trying to reach the, the top leaders, the CEOs, the C-suite, um, with what HR can do for the business. Is this book for more than just HR leaders? Yeah, it is. I mean, this book is, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I look at this book as a business book. This is a business book that helps you understand how to build a modern capabilities and one of the most important aspects of your business, which is your people. So it, it's not, I mean, you know, you can call it an HR book, but I actually call it a business book. And that's part of the, again, I think the shift between uh, modern HR and legacy HR. I think legacy HR, it, it was, uh, you know, your, your role was based on having HR acumen. Mm -hmm. uh, modern HR is based on having business acumen and like, and HR acumen. So like, yeah, HR acumen is table stakes. You have to understand how to do X, Y, or Z, depending on what your job is. Um, but you have to understand how that connects to the business, how that supports the business. How is that going to enable the business to achieve its goals? Not just, you know, I'm going to do this, you know, performance cycle to do why it's more of like, okay, well, what are our strategic goals for the next two to three years? How can our people strategy support that? And so, you know, to me, you know, this is, uh, you know, while I think a lot of people kind of view it as an HR book, it's a business book that's helping business operators, whether they're, you know, uh, in the field of HR or people building businesses, running businesses, executives, board members, et cetera. Uh, it helps them understand what building great people functions look like and what are the things they need to be thinking about and how they need to be resourcing it in order to build those high performing people teams. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the conversations that I often have with people over the years, we've kind of had leading thinkers like yourself or maybe others who have really kind of separated human resources out into kind of two camps. There's the administrative tactical focused people, uh, and then there's the strategic HR leaders. I think you've kind of like gone in a, a, a step beyond that with, again, what the modern HR leader is. But with that, there are still plenty of HR departments of one out there in small to mid-sized companies. There are still HR leaders who are both comfortable in that more administrative role and or their leadership wants them in that role. So is that something that you see more and more will be going away over time, that there's no room for those people in the field or in a business that HR will slowly die there? or will the whole field of human resources and people practices need to evolve and really for a lot of them go big major leaps into behaving differently? Yeah. So that's a very nuanced question. And the, the answer will probably be equally nuanced. Like I, <laughs> the way that I look at the field of HR today, and, and this is uh, this is anecdotal. So nobody hit me up and say, where's your research behind these numbers? This is just <laughs> my, my perspective. I think that if you, if you look at the field of HR as a spectrum, right? The top, uh, that, that, that what I'm talking about in terms of like the people who have really optimized these concepts around redefining HR and, and, you know, people analytics and inclusion and all these things, that's maybe 10% of the field, mm -hmm. right? That's the very kind of leading edge of the field, super progressive, uh, you know, instrumental in every business decision, uh, you know, respected, valued, understood by all members of the executive team, you know, all of those things. You have the other end of that spectrum, which is probably a bit bigger. It's probably about 20%. Uh, and they're, you know, still kind of more of that traditional personnel, administrative, transactional, doesn't have a lot of clout in the business, uh, you know, reactive. And that's, that's not necessarily their fault, 
That might be the construct of the company. That might be lack of faith or understanding of how to actually build a leadership team or build a progressive people team from the executive team. So again, that's not necessarily their fault, but that is, you know, that's, that's with the legacy stigmas of HR uh, that exists, you know, that's, that's the model they were, they're talking about. Uh, and then you probably have about 70% in the middle. And, and those are people are a mix of strategic, transactional, proactive, reactive, depending on where they are on that spectrum. You know, it depends on like how, how advanced their practices are and their ways of approaching things, you know, helps determine where they sit on that kind of middle tier, but that's the bulk of the field. And I think there's always going to be some roles just by the nature of the role that will be more transactional, you know, more reactive, more administrative, you're you're processing uh, different aspects of different, you know, things, right? Like that's not necessarily um, in uh, a a benefits clerk probably doesn't need to have super deep business acumen based on the nature of that role. So I'm not saying that like everybody has to have that, but leaders in the field of HR should, I don't think there's a future for transactionally administratively oriented HR leaders going forward. Like a lot of companies still exist that have old school HR teams. They just, they, they just, they do. And you know, they can probably find a comfortable home in those places, but things are evolving. And I think leaders in particular, it's so important for them to really be refreshing their skills, their capability, their thinking, their own growth and development. And I think that I'll I'll kind of end this with one point is that the field of HR, like the natural inertia of an HR leadership job pulls your head into the work, right? There's so much for you to do. It's so dynamic. You're never ahead. You're always behind. You're always catching up just by nature, it's really hard for you, for anybody in that position to make time for education and growth and development. And that's a double-edged sword because without that, there's no way that you're going to be able to expand and broaden your capabilities. And, you know, again, consistent with the theme of the podcast, your impact. Mm -hmm. And so I think for, especially for HR executives, you have got to carve out a percentage of your time for your own development, your own education, your own growth, your own networking. Those are all things that are are essential to the long-term viability of your career. I think it's really easy to not do that, but you've got to work against that. If there's one piece of advice that I would give to HR executives who are listening, create that space in your calendar, block it, book it in your calendar. Do not let people you know book over that. You need to have some time every week that's dedicated to you your own education, your own learning, your own networking, which is one of the more valuable and important things you can do to have a career in this field long-term. That's a great segue to what I was thinking as you were sharing that. Are there things that you recommend to HR leaders or getting leaders of people, which are often people who don't have the title of human resources in the past, you know, again, maybe some years ago, that pretty much the only place that HR leaders considered in terms of their further development would have been SHRM, you know, getting their certification, going to the weekly meetings, attending maybe a conference or two. Where do you suggest today that HR leaders who set aside that time or make their learning and development a priority? What are some of the either resources or uh, places or people or events or organizations that you suggest that they kind of put on their priority list for where they can get that learning and development opportunity? Yeah. I mean, I think, and I'll be a bit pointed in this comment. Like I I think that a lot of the 
legacy organizations that are out there, while they provide value in terms of body of knowledge and, you know, templates and legal advice and that kind of thing, which I think is important, they're not equipped to actually change and evolve and think and support at the pace that things are changing right now. Like if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that. And so, you know, and, and they're also, whether it's, uh, you know, they're also things that are behind kind of paywalls, you know, they're, they're, they're membership oriented, which, you know, there are valuable things that are behind paywalls, uh, but there's lots of valuable things that are not. So I would say look for more progressively oriented communities and bodies of knowledge. So whether it's like the people geeks community for culture amp uh, is really solid work humans uh, community is really solid. They've got lots of resources there. Uh, obviously HR open source is a thriving community, hacking HR, disrupt HR. You know, there's so many more modern Google rework would be another one modern kind of forward leaning communities and organizations where I think building a peer set there, you know, you're more likely to get ideas, get information, get resources around current challenges, you know, current things that we're facing, you know, shifting to remote overnight, dealing with workplace flexibility, um, having, you know, real meaningful internal conversations around discrimination and, and racial equity and those sorts of things that, that I think are, are thinking. And, and, you know, this, it's hard for a massive, large legacy organization who doesn't necessarily have that finger on the pulse of what's now and what's next to update themselves and refresh themselves in a way that um, that addresses some of these very topical, very now things. And so, you know, all of those organizations I mentioned are free, you know, Burson Academy from Josh Burson, you know, not free, but another great, very kind of now oriented, you know, community with lots of resources. I think any of those things are valuable. And what I would also say is don't limit yourself to HR resources and communities, right? Like, especially if you're in a leadership role, you need to sharpen your business acumen. And so whether that is other forums, uh, you know, HBR, The Economist, I mean, other, other platforms and publications that I think aren't necessarily looking at things purely from a, uh, you know, an insular HR perspective, but more of a broader business perspective, you've got to be plugged into some of those networks as well. Mm-hmm. Who are three to five maybe people that you would suggest that people who are interested in really kind of learning from somebody who's either out there breaking things, trying things, failing, suggesting new ideas, who would you suggest that they kind of stay connected to or follow? Uh, A few that I really like, um, Caitlin Holloway, she's not a practitioner anymore. She's a venture partner at uh, Alexis Sohanian's new uh, venture capital firm, 776, but she used to be the CPO at Reddit. Uh, you know, she's fantastic, has very progressive views. Katerina Berg, uh, CHO at Spotify, uh, you know, to me, like uh, she's hands down one of the best, you know, thinkers and practitioners and just people in the space. So tons of learning from her. Claude Silver over at uh, VaynerMedia, their chief heart officer, um, you know, atypical title, atypical leader. She, she lives that. That's who she is, um, you know, super sharp. So I love the way that she thinks and solves problems. Um, Dr. Aaron Thomas at Upwork, uh, specifically around diversity and inclusion and belonging. Like she's, she's phenomenal. And like all these people, uh, I mentioned them because they're, they're great at what they do. They're, they're kind of visionary, you know, leaders in the space, but they also work out loud. 
and they share what they do and how they think and what they're reading. And so, you know, I'll, I'll give advice that I kind of took way back when in my NPR days, when I, when I was, you know, had a real curiosity around the, you know, the HR blogging community and everything else, I built Twitter lists of people who, um, who I admired and I knew they did good work uh, and I knew I could learn from. And I've, I spent so much time on those Twitter lists just saying like, okay, like who are these people reading? Mm-hmm. Who are they sharing? Who, who are their um, go-to people for knowledge and inspiration and information? Because now like through them, I could branch out and find lots of other people. So um, I think that that same advice holds true now. You know, find some of these people who are kind of leading thinkers in the space and, uh, you know, absorb not just their own content, but like find who are they reading, where are they learning from, where are they getting their ideas from? Well, you get a gold star for naming four women leaders, um, probably unintentionally. <laughs> and um, I-, yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I, I think uh, uh, they're all fantastic leaders. And so uh, I think, you know, we have to. This idea, especially in, in HR, like we, I, and I, I do go into this pretty deep in the book, but like, as we think about inclusion and representation and where we get ideas from, if we're not diversifying our sources, if we're not diversifying their perspectives and the voices that we're taking in, our outlook is going to be, uh, have deep blind spots. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that, um, you do need to be intentional. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't trying to respond to your question. Like, let me think of four women. Those are just four people who I admire tremendously. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, but, but I do think just to your point, it is super important that we're all very intentional and deliberate around diversifying the voices that we're, you know, that are informing our perspective on the field. Mm-hmm. And if I'm correct, all of those have been guests on the Redefining HR podcast. Is that correct? Uh, all but Aaron. Yeah. Aaron yeah. So except not, maybe the fourth yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I did, I did have their, uh, CHRO Zoe Hart, chief people officer, I should say, uh, on the show. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to get Aaron on in the upcoming season five. So, uh, Aaron, if you're listening, I will be, I will be in touch. <laughs> well, I will definitely link to the episodes for the other three, because I remember those as being some really, um, informative ones where they shared, as you said, you know, what they're doing, what's working, what's not working. And I, I always find a lot of value in that. I guess I'm in a list mode today, Lars, but um, in terms of one of the things that I've ended one of my uh, keynote program was with in the past around disrupting yourself, which I'm having to rethink because we've all dis- been disrupted. So nobody, right. nobody's really looking for disruption in 2021. <laughs> How um, can I minimize disruption in 2021? Yeah, like, you know, that's probably not anybody's goal list. Disrupt myself, disrupt my business. But one of the, the things that I ended with was, uh, I believe it was a... Uh, survey from Mercer that listed 10 skills for future HR leaders, you know, and it was things like innovative thinking and digital savvy, et cetera, uh, which I think is still relevant. So I still have shown that a few times lately. What are maybe three to five skills that you would say for people leaders that they need to either master or begin to develop in 2021 and beyond? Um. Network equity oh, would be one. I don't even know what that means. So yeah, you dropped a bomb on me right uh, away. Tell me about that. <laughs> so I think that, you know, in this, in, in this complex world we're in right now, like nobody is going to have all the answers to all of the problems that are just the, the problem set is just way too large and not that even they could in the past, but even more so the world is just becoming more and more complicated. I think that you're, especially for leaders, 
your value to your organization, to your employees, to your company, it's not just the knowledge that you have, it's the knowledge that you have access to. And that's what I mean by network equity. If you are, you, you know, you are the curator, think of it like a garden. You know, if you're building your own garden, you don't want to just have one type of vegetable or one type of fruit. You want to have a, a broad range of things. And you can't possibly possess all of that in your head. But if you're, if you're deliberate and conscious around the value of network equity and building your network and adding value to your network in a very deliberate and conscious way, you can bring in people like, I don't need to be the expert in people analytics, you know, but I know the leading experts on the planet in that space. And so if I have a question about people analytics, that I, whether it's a consulting project or something else, it doesn't matter that I don't know that answer. I can get it. Mm -hmm. And I have access to the person who I, I know will make time for me if I say, hey, you know what? Here's the problem. How would you think about this? So network equity, I think, is hugely important. You know, another I would say would be flexibility. Uh, you know, I think and, and I'll, I'll, you know, HRI is that statement a little bit more like uh, <laughs> having an agile mindset and a growth mindset around your career. Uh, you're always going to be put in situations where you're not going to have those answers. And so not getting frustrated by that, like figure out, okay, this is an opportunity to grow. This is an opportunity for me to learn something new. I'm going to embrace this. I think that part is a, is a really fundamental trait of modern people operators. And I think from an agility standpoint, you know, when I, when I, in, you know, kind of uh, define that in the HR context, too often legacy HR was all about playbooks, mm -hmm. right? If we're going to do performance management, here's the playbook on performance management. If we're going to do, you know, leadership development, here's the playbook. I'll lead all the dust this off from my last four companies. That doesn't really fit anymore. Like you should have a point of view based on your past experience, of course, but there isn't, you know, a one size fits all. There's just too much nuance in terms of the actual implementation of what we do. And so from an agility perspective, one, it's like not being super, you know, and, and you know, rigid around like looking at, well, HR dogma says I do X mm -hmm. if I'm doing solving this problem. It's saying, okay, like usually you do X, but in this situation, you know, X with this Y variable is actually going to be a better fit. Um, and again, that touches on even business acumen and some of the other things we talked about to actually understand that and know that why the why variable is going to help that. So that would be another piece that's really important. And I think the third piece is just education broadly. I think the world we're in is, is complicated. It's evolving. It's nuanced. You're going to face things that you've seen before and you're going to face things that you haven't seen before. And so as a HR leader, and this isn't even just an HR leader, as a business leader, you've got to find time to stay on top of the trends and the technology and the new thinking and the external disruptions that are actually turning all that upside down uh, on, on a regular basis. Because if you're not, when the next pandemic hits, when the next you know crazy thing that throws everybody upside down, uh, you know if you're if you're very rigid in your thinking and your approaches, and you know this kind of piggybacks to the first two comments. But you're going to get caught flat and you're going to struggle and, and it's not going to be a fun experience for you. And it's not going to be a good experience for your career because you're going to, you know, your ability to actually help your organization and your team and your executives navigate those waters is going to be limited. So I think that those are, you know, those are three things that I think are super important for 2021. But frankly, I think are super important for, you know, just they're fundamental mm -hmm. to how modern business operators have to think now, next year and in the near future. Yeah, well, I'll have to change my uh, disruptive slide to 
You put a picture of you up there. Here's three things that Lars recommends. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you, you, you want to lower your uh, NPS scores by, uh, you know, diminishing your content that way. We will certainly link up to ways where people can find you because I think um, I really enjoy the Redefining HR podcast and reading and learning from you as I've done for years. But let me give you a final opportunity to remind people why they might also want to buy the book. So let's put you on a plane. You're in first class because that's the only way, oh, hey. you know, All the right. best. that's the only way best selling authors travel at, <laughs> at, on their client's dime. You're in first class. You're sitting next to a CEO of a Fortune 10 company. You get the opportunity. It comes up that you've written a book called Redefining HR. Mm-hmm. And she asks you to tell her what the book is about and why she should buy it. What would you say? Wow. First class elevator pitch on the spot. I would say redefining HR is all about building people-centric companies that can support your business's success. You know, period. If it's a CEO, it's that. Like you can't, there are no, maybe not no, there are very few high-performing category-leading companies that have crappy HR teams. They're just, they just can't be done. It's essential. You've got to have, you know, high, you, you know, if you want to attract talent, if you want to retain talent, if you want to develop talent, if you want to build an inclusive and representative organization, all of these things that we're talking about now, you can't do that with a subpar people function. You, you just can't. And so this book is a, is a framework for how to build those modern people teams. It's, it's a, it's a fundamental overview of the things you need to be thinking about, the things you need to be designing for, you know, the ways that you need to be thinking in a modern context about building world-class people teams. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm pretty sure she's going to buy the book after that, probably on the spot. <laughs> so, you know, if, if she's a CEO of a Fortune 10, I, I may hook her up. I may, I, I, you know, you know what <laughs> kind of like author reader for the book? Yeah, what kind of yeah, author? Yeah, that's you, true. You didn't have a book in your your pocket there to give. to <laughs> You know, I, I guess my, my open source roots run deep, right? I've got to, I'm going to shed that as it goes. Now, now I'm an author who's going to hawk a book. So I need, to, I need to rethink that. So where can people, what's the place that people can find more about you and about the book that we can send them to in addition to all the other places I'll link up for you? Yeah. So Redefining HR is the hub for the book and the podcast. So you can see reviews, you can uh, purchase the book, you can, uh, you know, read, listen to podcast episodes, you can get a sense of like, where it all came from and why am I doing all of this? All that lives on the site. Uh, and then for me and kind of my business, uh, amplifiedtalent.com is the website for that. And you can learn more about uh, my consulting and search practice and uh, as well as a, uh, a community that I've been building for uh, modern CHROs. So uh, all of that is, uh, is found on those two sites. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to catch up with you today, Lars. I look forward to seeing your face in person at some point in the near future and definitely, hopefully, being on the front row of a Talent Connect <laughs> conference again. Wait a minute. Actually, you're going to be up on that stage. I'm going to be cheering you on from the front <laughs> row of Talent Connect and other conferences in the future, and I look forward to that. Well, I appreciate it. It's always good to catch up with you, and uh, it's good to, good to see your face. I know that doesn't convey to listeners on the podcast, but uh, it's good that we're able to see each other's faces and uh, catch up, and I appreciate the opportunity to you know share the book and the podcast with your listeners. All right. Thanks, Lars. Thank you. It's time for you to get noticed, create change, and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review. 